0: You're listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott on Sunday, July 4th, 2021 at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church, visit us online at redemptionhill.com. For the next three weeks, uh, we will be looking at this psalm that Casey just read uh, together. Uh, It's it's Psalm 122. Uh, We're going to take three weeks and really dig into uh, what this psalm is. It is one of my favorite psalms. And uh, I hope you will come to love it as well, if you don't already, Um, uh, but I hope you'll come to see what what, uh, it has to say about us as God's people, how we move and act together, um, what he has intended for us, what he desires for us, what it shows us about God and what it shows us about his church. It is July 4th, Independence Day. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, our nation began to officially commemorate June 19th or Juneteenth, which celebrates the end uh, to slavery in this country, the freedom of enslaved men, women, and children uh, in the U.S. That, that took place in 1865. Um, and as, as we think about those things, we celebrate the freedoms that, that we have. Uh, we are also reminded as, as the church of what God has, has done for us, of, of the freedom that we have in Him, the greatest freedom that any of us can ever know, the freedom that we have from sin and death through Jesus. And Galatians chapter 5 reminds us that we as humans take advantage of every freedom that we've been given. We use it to our advantage. We use it selfishly. We take advantage of it by making an opportunity to be self-centered and to, to focus on ourselves. It says this, uh, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. We should celebrate freedom, but as those whose life was bought at a price, as those whose, whose freedom was purchased for us by Christ, by the blood of Christ, and we should never take advantage of that freedom just to become self-centered, self-focused, self, self-indulgent. There are countries today and throughout history that have made it illegal to gather together as the church. There have been many times that through uh, legalism and harsh tactics by the church the people have been forced to go to church with the threat of imprisonment. But we have great freedom in our time. We have great freedom in our, in our country to be able to go and gather together as, as God's people. We have freedom to, to gather together as the church. Uh, and yet we often... Use that opportunity as an opportunity for the flesh. Psalm 122, as Eugene Peterson writes about it, is a psalm about a people who decide to go to church. It is a people who understand that freedom and say, I want to be there. And beyond that, this is a psalm about a people who are excited. They are rejoicing to go to church. It is a people who have experienced the freedom of knowing and trusting in a mighty God and can't wait to be together with God's people. So we will spend the next three weeks looking at this psalm as God calls his people to enjoy him together, and specifically in three ways we will look at it. This week, we will see that God has called us to worship together with the church. Next week, God has formed us together as his church And then in week three, that God has called us to work together for the sake of the church. Psalm 122 is is one of the 15 psalms of Ascent. They start in Psalm 120 and go to Psalm 134. And these psalms were sung by thousands of Israelites as they made their way up to Jerusalem. Three times a year, they would travel together. They would travel to the three great feasts, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, which we know as Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Mary and Joseph, the the earthly parents of Jesus, would go every year, according to Luke chapter 2, to the Feast of Passover. They were were there to celebrate Jehovah, the Most High God, and they would sing these psalms on the way to the feast as a way to prepare themselves for the feast. That same passage in Luke 2 points out that Jesus was 12 at the time, and so he was traveling with his parents, and so it is more than likely that Jesus, along with his parents, sang this psalm on their way to, to the Passover. And as these Israelites would make the sometimes long journey to the temple, they would sing these Psalms of Ascent. The, the, these songs were a way to prepare their hearts and minds, literally to go to, to the feast, but spiritually to lead them up to where God was, to lead them to God in worship. Psalm 120 is the first of the Psalms of Ascent. And in verse 1, The psalmist shows us where he starts. He starts low. He starts discouraged. He starts down. He says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. We start in distress. We start desperate and hurting, surrounded by people that mean us harm. And these psalms show us that as Christians, we now move from that distress We move upwards towards praising God together with his people. Singing these songs would would build a holy anticipation for the presence of God. We recently had a, had a, a meeting with some of our members talking about the Sunday gathering and we compared the Sunday gathering to a feast. They were literally going to a feast, but God had prepared a spiritual feast for them and invited them to come together and enjoy that feast together. So they were excited to be together with God's people, to worship Him. And I believe we should have that same level of anticipation and excitement and joy to be able to gather each week with Christian brothers and sisters to re- worship our Redeemer. It is easy to look at their time, their culture, and simply disregard it as a different time, a different place. It would be easy to say that we just don't have that same level of anticipation. We don't experience that same level of anticipation in our culture, but that wouldn't be true. In 2016, a husband and wife drove 1,000 miles with their 10-year-old son because they wanted to see history made. They have been waiting for this, this time for their entire lives. They were joined by an estimated 5 million other people. The seventh largest gathering of people ever in history, including families of four and five generations who had flown in from every part of this country and from around the world to celebrate the fact that the Chicago Cubs had won their first World Series in 108 years. Yes, I know we have some Cubs fans here. In 2013, college students in South Carolina camped out for 14 days 14 days just to get good tickets, not just tickets, to get good tickets to a Clemson Florida State football game. This is not just a sports phenomenon either. In 1980, fans waited as much as 36 hours to see maybe the greatest movie of all time, The Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) 19 years later, many of those same people waited as long as 72 hours to see one of the worst movies of all time. Star Wars The Phantom Menace, and, and my personal favorite, in 2005, over 1,000 people lined up in Massachusetts, waiting with anticipation. Some people camped out as long as 10 days. There was a local high school band playing in the parking lot. There was a rock band performing nearby. Tra- traffic was gridlocked for hours. Why? Why were they waiting 10 days? Why was traffic gridlocked? Because an Ikea was opening in that city. And before you judge, I have run into many of you in in an Ikea two and a half hours away, braving Northern Virginia traffic to be there. So we all understand this level of joyful anticipation. But the truth is that while we still experience that same level of anticipation in our culture today, it rarely has anything to do with God. This psalm, Psalm 122, shows us that God's people should be joyful to worship him, to worship him together, and it shows us how we get there. It is about people that are so happy and excited about something that they travel and they wait at the opportunity just to be present. This psalm shows us what our response should be when we recognize that the God of the universe has prepared and invited us to a feast for us to enjoy with our brothers and sisters. Your anticipation and joy for being together with God's people for that feast should exceed that of a Cubs fan who waited 108 years to win a World Series. So David expresses his anticipation when he says in verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We don't really have a great understanding of, of what glad or gladness means anymore. If you're anything like me, glad just means a kind of subdued happiness. I'm I'm not really happy, I'm just glad. Um, and 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 that's not really what we're trying what David's trying to get across here. It's why I appreciate the message translation of this verse. It says when they said let's go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. That was what he felt. Rejoicing. My heart leaped for joy. Is that something that you've felt before? Have you felt this in your heart? Have you felt your heart leap for joy? Have you ever felt that in relation to God? Have you ever felt it in relation to coming on Sunday morning? Does your heart leap for joy to be together with God's people? I'm gonna sound uh, to some of you uh, a little legalistic for like two minutes, and then I won't be legalistic anymore. But you should come to the Sunday gathering every week. And even more than that, you should want to come to the Sunday gathering every week. This is rarely what our hearts feel. So, So I want you to do something for me, honestly, and I will give you 10 seconds to do this. I want you to honestly fill in the blank in your mind. What could you say this honestly about? I was glad when they said unto me, fill in the blank. What would you put in that blanket? It'd be a truthful statement. What could someone say to you, hey, let's go, whatever, and immediately your heart would rejoice. Take a moment and actually think about that. I hope you have it in your mind. I hope you didn't just repeat the verse, um, because that probably wasn't too honest, but I I hope you have something in your mind. What, what would that be? I won't have you yell it out. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the beach this weekend. I could say that. I was glad when they said to me, let's just sleep in today. That would be fantastic. I was glad when they said to me, let's go get some Chick-fil-A. I am always excited about those things. None of those things are bad things. Every Sunday, every Sunday, probably every Sunday, we ask our kids what they want for lunch after church, and every Sunday they scream Chick-fil-A. And then we have to explain to them that they love Jesus and so you can't have Chick-fil-A. Sorry. Um, (laughs) None of those things are bad things. Rest and getting away at times is necessary and healthy. But we can probably say those statements more honestly and more truthfully than we can say this statement by David. I was glad my heart rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. to so what truly brings our hearts gladness? When you wake up on Sunday morning, does your heart wake up with joy, knowing that you are going to be together with the saints, going before God, worshiping, singing, praying? If someone texted you during the week and said, I can't wait until Sunday to go to church, what'd you feel? Guilt? Obligation? Joy? For many of us, our heart rejoices to get away for the weekend, but with Sunday, we just kind of force ourselves to get up. We force ourselves to go. We know we should go, and so we make ourselves go. We feel a sense of duty or guilt. We don't go to the church gathering enough because our hearts don't really rejoice at the thought of being together to worship God. Even before COVID, church analysts had said that the new normal to go on Sunday mornings is is maybe twice a month, but for most people, it's once a month. That's become as much as we will give. That's, That's how often we'll go to this. There are so many other things vying for our attention, our affection. And after this very long year, we are hungry to just travel and do things, go somewhere we enjoy, somewhere we can just get away. So why don't we rejoice more at the thought of being together with God's people? Why is it so easy to pick something else other than coming to the church gathering? I don't want any of us coming faithfully and consistently on Sunday morning just out of guilt. But I do think we need to go ahead and and just knock over a few walls that many of us are building up that prevent us from truly enjoying the unique opportunity that we have. And it is a unique opportunity every Sunday. We often use every reason we can to not go to church. And and I, I honestly don't want to try and poke holes in all of our excuses, so I'm going to let Jesus poke holes in all of our excuses. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 15. Jesus gives us the parable of the great feast. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful parable. There's a few different versions of this. This one is, is not referred to as much, but it is my, my personal uh, favorite telling of this story. It says this. This is Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table heard him, heard Jesus, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for for everything is now ready. In Psalm 122, they were all preparing to go and partake in the feast that were in the house of the Lord. In Psalm 122, the invitation is, let's go to the house of the Lord. And here in Luke 14, the invitation is, come to the feast of the kingdom of God. We get to go and feast at the banquet of the Lord, and we are called to go and invite others into it with us. And so what is the response? to the banquet feast of God's kingdom here in Luke 14. Surely the response of everyone is, I rejoiced when you said to me, let's go to the feast of the kingdom of God. But in verse 18, we see the response. It says, but they all in the same way began to make excuses. His word, not mine. But they all in the same way began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a piece of property and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Just need to stop and appreciate that our excuses for not going to the feast that God prepares for us haven't gotten much fresher in 2,000 years. I have just bought a piece of property. Today is, I just moved four weeks ago. Uh, We just bought a house and we have to take care of it. I've just bought five yoke of oxen is the equivalent of saying I've got a lot of work that needs to get done or started or keep momentum on. I've got a huge deadline coming up. I love the last guy. He doesn't even feel bad. The first two at least say, I'm sorry, please excuse me the last guy just says, I'm not coming. (laughs) Why? I just got married. Great. Bring your wife. What? Why would that stop you? No, I'm not coming. Work, big life changes, big family changes. And if we're honest, for many of us, if none of those things are happening, then we need a weekend away to recover from doing those things. Our excuses haven't changed much in 2,000 years. We justify it by saying we are a busy people with very full lives, and I can go to church next week or the next or the next. And while some of those excuses might make sense, they might seem reasonable, when we use them enough, eventually gathering together with the church is only something that you do if you don't have something better to do. Gathering together with God's people to worship, pray, and grow becomes our Sunday fallback plan. The gift and opportunity that we have to to get a glimpse of what eternity will be like should carry more weight in our lives than, than simply being a good solid backup if we don't have anything else on the calendar. God has prepared a feast for us and he has given us the church to come and partake in that feast and enjoy that feast together. It doesn't really matter how good our reasons are for not being there. Worshiping God together with God's people is just better. And David knew that. David wasn't rejoicing to go because he didn't have anything better to do, because there was nothing else on his calendar. He was rejoicing because he knew that there was something uniquely magnificent about being able to go with God's people to worship our Savior and Redeemer. So why did David's heart leap For joy, well, David uses that word more than anyone else in the Bible, and so we can look at how David uses it to give us an idea of why he was rejoicing. Psalm 13, verse 5, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice. My heart leaps with joy in your salvation. What makes us rejoice? The steadfast love of the Lord and the confidence that we know that we have been saved. Psalm 40, verse 16, this is David again, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. What makes us rejoice? That this isn't just for me. That that everyone who gets to see this, we all proclaim with one voice, great is the Lord. We say it continually. This is for everyone who loves and knows salvation. Psalm 71, verse 23, David again says, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. What makes us rejoice? To know and believe that we have been redeemed. And in our psalm today, Psalm 122, this psalm begins and ends with the phrase, the house of the Lord. What makes us rejoice? It is that that we have been redeemed by God, we have been saved by God. His steadfast love will never leave us and we can actually go before him in his presence and praise and worship together with his people. Praise and worship with other people who recognize this. It is pure grace, amazing grace, that we've been given an opportunity to gather together to worship our savior and redeemer. And I want you to see that this is a gift to see what a gift the church is. Because surely if we start to see that the church gathered together is a banquet feast that God has prepared for his people and invited you to come, then every reason we can come up with will begin to pale in comparison when we really consider all the reasons we have to rejoice in God. We must believe that it is by God's grace alone that you can come here on Sunday morning. If we see it any other way, we'll take advantage of it. But if we see that it is a gift of God, then we will run to it. We will want to be there. God doesn't need you to do this. You are not doing God a favor by by coming on Sunday mornings. Worship is happening right now in heaven and in eternity and all creation forever and ever. He doesn't need you to check off a box so that you feel better about yourself. But you and I are in desperate need of the feast that God prepares for us. Verse 21 of the parable of the great feast, back in Luke 14, after everyone gives their excuses for not coming to the feast, we're told the servant who invited them came back and told his master. The master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets, And the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Who ends up getting the feast? Who ends up coming and enjoying the feast that God has prepared? The poor, the sick, the hurting, those who are in need of a Savior. Who rejoices over being able to go to the house of the Lord? Those who are hungry, those who need healing. Those that know that salvation is from the Lord and there is nowhere else to go to find it. Those who know that they don't have any right to be seated at the banquet. All they know is, I'm hungry and I'm starving, and this is better than anything else I've ever seen. What God wants us to see is that when we gather together as the church, we come tired, broken, needy, desperate before God, praising Him, thanking Him for the cross thanking him for our redemption and salvation and confessing that every day, every breath, I need his help. Every day, I need him. And believing that he will do immensely more than all we could ask or think. One commentator put it, David speaks like a man going out of a dungeon and into the light. That will make your heart rejoice. That will change what you feel in your heart when a Christian brother or sister says to you, let's go together to be with with God's people. Why? Because you see in them somebody else that is also hungry, somebody else who is in need of healing. They need forgiveness as well. And they also know that there is nowhere else to turn. This is something to be done together. So our response should be to start telling friends, neighbors, coworkers, enemies, let's go together to the house of the Lord. We come to the house of the Lord and we come together with others. For many of us that is not a welcome invitation. And the main reason that we, it's not a welcome invitation, the main reason we don't want to come to church is people. The thought of being together isn't necessarily an encouraging thing. You hear Let's go to the house of the Lord, and you think that's okay. <laughs> I can worship God just fine by myself. You might have experienced hurt from Christians, or just, just generally just wouldn't pick this group of people to spend time with. I get it; people are weird. At the end of this year, it'll be uh, ten years since my wife and I first visited Redemption Hill. And for more than two years before that, we didn't go to uh, church. And for years before that, I hadn't been to a Sunday morning gathering. I had experienced a lot of hurt from people in church. I'd seen a lot of hurt from people in church. I'd seen Christians hurt each other, judging each other, angry at each other. My wife and I had gone through prolonged suffering, and in the midst of our hurting and suffering, there were Christians in our lives that just added to that hurt by their self-righteousness. They just added to that hurt by their careless words. I got to a point where I felt like I would, I would be just fine if I never set foot in church again, if that's what church is. I looked at those who weren't Christians, to be honest. I looked at non-Christians, and, and I, wanted, I wanted to spend more time with them. Um, not that they were perfect, but they didn't make things worse. And it felt like Christians made things worse. Christians were there questioning us, telling us that our suffering was because we lacked faith, blaming our suffering on something we weren't believing or something we weren't doing. I had seen enough of the hypocrisy of people in church for years, and so I didn't need excuses. I just didn't want to be there. Even when we started coming to Redemption Hill, we still talk about this a lot, those feelings still lingered, and there were times where we were walking from our car into the service, and we would start to argue between the two of us whether we really want to keep walking or not. Uh, Do we really want to keep going? Do we really want to be there? Um, We had so much pain, and it felt so raw that the potential of that being stoked up again just had no appeal. At times, it felt like we were forcing ourselves to go. There was was no way I could say at that time, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I didn't want to go with them anywhere. When I stepped foot into a church, I saw self-righteous hypocrites who would ultimately cause more pain than good. And so I didn't want to go with them anywhere, be around them anywhere, sit with them anywhere. And so why would I want to go and be in a church with them? Honestly, I was judging them, and I felt I had good reason to do so. My feelings were real, and they were real, and I had legitimate reasons for them. But my problem was that when I stepped into a church service, my eyes were first and foremost on the people around me. My eyes were not on Jesus in the least, bit. I was going to the house of the Lord, but really what I thought was I was going to sit with a bunch of Christians. I wasn't first going to be in the presence of God. Our eyes need to be set on Christ and what he has done for us, and then we can look at each other and see each other rightly. If we see Christ and what he has done for us, then it transforms the way we see one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, once said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face may have been intolerable to me, but it is transformed in prayer into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. The faces of the people transform when you set your heart towards God, when you set your hearts towards, towards, towards your Savior, towards the one who has redeemed you. Faces that you just couldn't stand to see now become beautiful and sweet, and you're excited to see them. I know people can mess it up for you. You might be the one messing it up for somebody else. We don't come perfect, and so we don't do everything perfectly. It doesn't mean that we don't try to grow and improve, but it also doesn't mean that you don't come and worship with God's people because you've seen the cracks, You've seen people's imperfection. You've seen their sin, and you think it gives you the right to just not come. God sees every single sin in your life, every imperfect thought that you have ever had, and yet he still calls to you to come and enjoy the feast. He still prepares the feast and gives his life so that you can be a part of it. He knows it all and yet still wants you to be there. David certainly knew how sinful the people were that he was going to be with, and yet his heart still rejoiced to be together with God's people. He knew he wasn't going with perfect people. For those who have experienced the grace of God, we don't just begrudgingly push past the imperfections of the people around us. We ask God to give us eyes to see each other as those for whom Christ died, and that will give us reason to rejoice that we get to be together. Uh, there are three practical ways that this psalm shows us how our joy should lead us towards our gatherings on Sunday morning. I want to see those before we close. First, our joy should lead us to prepare ourselves personally to come and worship. The first time you think about coming on Sunday morning shouldn't be Sunday morning. The Israelites sing these psalms as a way to prepare themselves for worship, to get them in the right mindset. It was a way to leave behind the things that would distract them and burden them and prevent them from truly enjoying being in the presence of God. It was their way of doing what Jesus calls us to do when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your souls. They were moving their way up to God, and in the in the midst of that, they were casting off their anxiety, casting off their burden, and turning to God. These Psalms were a way to cast off the burdens of life. not. Not to disregard them, not that they weren't going to be there when they came back, but it was a way to prepare them to enjoy being with God. We prepare for things that we are excited about. We just went to Florida and we prepared for like seven months to to go on that trip. And every step of the way, it just made us more excited about going. We should prepare ourselves before we gather together as well. Each week. Shelby Murphy prepares and sends out the order and content of our service. The songs that we will sing, the scripture that we will read together. You have it available to you. I would encourage you to take time and read through that to prepare yourself. I would encourage you over the next few weeks, consider memorizing this psalm. It's not long, it's not hard. Make a point of reading it each day. Print it out somewhere and post it up so that you can see it. Somewhere you will definitely see it each day pray through it and ask God to do this in your heart. Ask God to increase your joy. Ask God to increase your enjoyment of worship and being together with God's people. And then spend time praying for the others that are going to be here. This is a corporate act. We get to come together. Don't just pray for yourself. Pray for those that are going to be here because that will give you a heart and passion to say, I'm excited that you're here with us. So we should prepare ourselves. Second, our joy should lead us to gather faithfully and consistently together. might go as something that seems like it's, it's, it's basic, but Hebrews chapter 10 is one of the most common passages that we have that people use to encourage people to make sure they are faithfully showing up at church. But it also gives us the motivation that we need to meet together faithfully, to actually get excited about this. This is Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says, Brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a a sincere heart. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to draw near to God. This is an opportunity to draw near to God with a sincere heart. Not that we have to do it, we get to do it. And we don't stop meeting together, but we do it more and more. This should actually be increasing. As Christians, we are commanded to gather together, so we don't wait to do this until we desire to do it. It is our duty, but it should also be the delight of every Christian to faithfully gather together as a church each week. Not only do we get to be together with, with God in worship, but Christ, in the most gracious act, has prepared the way up to be with our Father. We couldn't get there on our own, as hard as we might try, and most of us weren't trying that hard. So now, by the blood of Christ, there is a way. So then we need to draw near to God. We need to run boldly to his throne. We will be close to him for all eternity, and we get a glimpse of that now. So we're told, meet together faithfully, consistently. And that passage in Hebrews says our meeting together and encouraging one another should actually be increasing. We should meet together one-on-one. We should meet together in small groups, our communities, and we should gather together with the entire church on Sunday mornings, and we should be excited to do it. We don't meet together less. We do this more and more as we know that the day of Christ's return is approaching. We aren't making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times a year. We get to gather together with God's people every week to hear the good news of the gospel and to worship and proclaim that he alone is worthy of our praise. We get to do this every week. That shouldn't lessen our joy. If you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but, but David's joy was there because this was something that happened three times a year. If you think that being in the house of the Lord is made better by doing it less frequently, then you don't know how great God is. Being in God's presence with God's people isn't made great because it only happens a few times a year. We should desire it and be passionate about it more and more because it's what we're going to do for all eternity, and we're going to enjoy it then. We should be so much more ready than even David was to say, I rejoice when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. We now see Christ in his fullness. We should be excited to run to, to his people and to be together to worship him. Every Sunday morning, we gather together, not because we have to, but because we have been given the gracious gifts of the church. Every Sunday, we get to participate in a glimpse of the heavenly feast that God has prepared for us, and we get to do it together. We come together and we do what God has prepared for us. We get to pray and cry out to God together. As our pastors, Mark, Raymond, Demetrius, each of our pastors lead us in prayer for one another, for our church, for our city, our nation, and our world. We get to worship together as as Brett, Laura, Zach, Terrell, Andrea, Jonathan, and so many others prepare each week to lead us in singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, prepare us to sing praise to God. We get to show hospitality to one another, as, as Jen and Kathy and Taylor and the Spains and the Bays and so many more greet you as you enter in, and then we have the opportunity to welcome one another, to welcome one another as God has welcomed us. We get to welcome in new believers into this, into this gathering. We get to welcome in people that don't know Christ yet. What an opportunity to show what God has done for us. We should be excited about that. And we get to grow together. We get to be reminded of our need of the gospel together. We get to be reminded of the power of the gospel as God's word is faithfully preached each week by Robert and the other pastors. And we get to respond each week to the gospel by taking communion together. And we have the opportunity to encourage one another, serve one another, celebrate with one another, weep with one another, taking time to actually talk and hear and listen to one another. Every week, Ryan and Ben and Emily and Tori teach our kids, along with so many others, teach our kids the stories of how God has worked throughout history, of the opportunity to talk to them about it. This is an amazing opportunity. This isn't something you have to force yourself out of bed to do. This is something we should be rejoicing in our heart. Our hearts should leap for joy when we hear these things. And Then we get to be sent out to love one another, to live the, what God has done in us, to live in light of it, and to proclaim his, his worth and his beauty to a lost world. Those are amazing things. Each of those is a unique part of the feast that God has prepared for us, and we should consistently thank him for it. So we should prepare ourselves. We should consistently and faithfully gather together. And third, our joy should lead us to invite others together with us. We should joyfully invite others into this with us. We should invite those in our lives who have not yet believed so that we can see how God uses his word to transform lives, to save lives, so that we can see unbelievers transformed. We should invite them into this. We wanna see what the Apostle Paul describes in his letter to the Corinthians when he says, if an unbeliever comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin, brought under judgment as their secrets of their heart are laid bare, and they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. We should desire that. We should invite unbelievers, but we should also invite one another. We often think of inviting people, and we just think of people that aren't here, but we should invite one another. We should reach out to each other and say, I'm excited that we're gonna be together this week. I know we don't want to put too much pressure on anybody to do anything, but each of us actually needs to know that someone wants us to be there, that it's meaningful that I'm there, that it's meaningful that you're there, that it's meaningful that we're together. It is right to feel that we should want to come together, and so we should extend that invitation. Going to church isn't just an individual act. It is a corporate act of God's people. We wake up on Sunday morning and decide if I feel like going to church or not. It's not just about you. God's people, God's church is coming together to worship God, and you should want to be there with them. And it should bring you joy that someone else has said to you, Let's go together. David's saying, It brought joy to my heart. Nobody had to invite David, but somebody did. That's what he's exclaiming. It brought joy to me because someone said to me, Let's go together. We get to do all of this because Jesus has made a way and has invited his people to himself. He has told us to come to him so we should go rejoicing. None of this is out of self-righteousness or judgment. We should just desire this. This is something that should be stoked in our hearts and in our minds. And this should cause us to love Jesus with all of our hearts. He paved the road to be able to come before God. He went and prepared for us a place to be in the presence of God forever. He went and prepared the feast for us, and he knocked down every dividing wall that we would put up between ourselves and others. And then he calls us and invites us graciously to leave our sin behind and come to a feast that none of us ever deserve to be at. He is the only way to God. He is the only way to be a part of his family. He is the only way for us to go to the house of the Lord. And that should cause us to rejoice and that should cause us to seek after him with all of our hearts. Uh, We are going to spend a few minutes in reflection and prayer before we take the Lord's Supper. For me, as God brought me out of the depths of discouragement, despair, bitterness, As healing happened, I moved from judging God's people with a bitter heart, and as God turned my heart to see his unwavering love and his amazing grace, God restored to me the joy of my salvation. And in that, he also moved me from judging God's people to rejoicing at the thought of gathering together with a family of people who could say with one voice, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Who could say with one voice, salvation is of the Lord. Who could say with one voice, let us go together to the house of the Lord. That created in me a love for them and a joy to gather gather and worship with them. And I hope he's doing that in your heart. I hope he does that more in all of our hearts. And so as you take a moment to reflect, I encourage you. Do you need to ask God to restore that joy of your salvation. If you you have that joy, then you're going to rejoice at this as well. Who can you be praying for to invite with you to come in the weeks to come? What is keeping you from that joy? Seek after God. Seek after him. Let the work of Christ overwhelm you today. And then after a moment of reflection, you will be invited to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. We will partake in a feast that God has prepared for us in sending Christ into this world and giving His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. The bread represents the body of Christ and the blood representing the blood that Christ shed for us. And because of that, we we turn away from our sin and we remember what He did so that we can have life. All of this is a gracious act and we get to take communion together each week. That is a wonderful thing. And so in a moment, we'll be uh, called to that as God's people, and we'll call to rejoice in what God has done for us. And so let's pray, and then we'll take a moment to reflect. Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for uh, the gift of your people. Um, Thank you um, that in you alone um, we find salvation, and in you alone we find the words of life that we so desperately are hungry and needy for, I pray that you would make that a reality every day. I pray that every moment of our lives, we would see how much we need you, see how hungry we are for the things that you provide. I pray that you would cause, use that to to create a a hunger and passion for, for your church for your people, uh, cause it to be a hunger and a passion to seek after you each and every week, but but every moment of every day. And that this time together would just stoke that even more. Uh, Father, thank you for it. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Uh, we, we thank you for your love that you've shown us. Um, we thank you for uh, the, the reminder uh, that communion is of all that you have done for us. Um, we thank you for it. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon preached by Pastor Tim Abbott at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information about the church and to hear other sermons like this, please visit us online at redemptionhill.com.